verses 16 through 20. Mark chapter 1, verses 16 through 20. Hear the word of the Lord. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he, that is Jesus, saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you in your perfect plan and infinite wisdom have so chosen to write your word down through various authors, various periods, all under the inspiration of your spirit. Your word has been received and preserved and is before us. And because it is yours, it is your communication to us. It is authoritative. We ask that your spirit would take your word in power to authenticate it in our hearts, to do the work of convincing in our minds, and to stir up holy affections due to it. We ask that your Spirit would give us sight and ears, soft hearts. And Father, I now pray that whatever proceeds from this mouth that is not of you would fall to the floor and remain unheard. For the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Lord Jesus, you said heaven and earth may pass away, but your word will never pass away. So, Lord, would you speak? Lead us. Speak, Father. Your children are listening. Have mercy in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. We left, I read this last week and I didn't get to it, and it's really important, so here we are. We left Jesus at the end of 15, chapter 1, verse 15, issuing the summons of response to the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom is received and responded to appropriately in repentance and faith. In repentance and faith, we are abandoning Former allegiances, we are abandoning previous management. We are abandoning darkness. We, because of God's work in our lives, as Paul says in Colossians 1.13, we've been delivered from the domain of darkness. So if you will, there are two domains In this world, in this life, in the sweet by and by, which isn't so sweet for some. There are two options. There there are two spheres of living, two domains, two rulerships, two, if you will, kingdoms in which you, you can live. And you must choose. There is the domain of darkness. that Paul writes about there again in Colossians chapter 1. That is the... The kingdom of Satan. In which, if you are a Christian this morning, in which you once lived. 
He says that there in Colossians 1. He says that again in Ephesians 2, verse 1. You were dead in your sins and trespasses, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air. Paul also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, I believe, that he, Satan, is blinding the eyes of the unbelievers. So there are two, that is one domain. And so what Jesus is doing as the rightful king, remember, he's coming into his vineyard. Remember the parable of the talents, I mean, excuse me, the parable of the tenants, In chapter 12, Jesus is coming to that which belongs to him. He is rightful Lord. And yet, those that have been set up, those who have been entrusted with it, his creation and his people, have not stewarded it well. Rather, they have done so for their own glory. And so the gospel of the kingdom is the gospel, the good news that the king has Come, and what you see in the ministry of Jesus is the rolling back of all of the effects of the fall, sin's first entrance, and you see the rolling back of the domain of darkness because the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of Christ the Lord, has come. And so, dear one, as we in a moment we're going to talk about discipleship, we're going to talk about following Jesus. But before we get there, that will not make sense to you until you make this choice. You must abandon the domain of darkness and follow the king. Is that forceful enough? And many Christians, I don't think you might or you might not believe this. You have to forsake Satan. You have to forsake self. You have to leave that behind. This is there is a stark kingdom fault line that must be drawn. Either you are in darkness or you are in light. Substantively, I'm not saying that you never sin. I know that's not true about you and me. Not to make light of sin. We continue to struggle and we continue to be hampered by it. But you must have a plant your foot in the ground moment where you say Jesus is Lord and there are no others. Repent and believe. This is a foot in the ground pivot moment. For your entrance into the, the kingdom of, his, of, of Christ. For the entrance out of darkness into light. Now that's an operation of God's grace in your life. But I promise you this. You cannot walk the fault line. You cannot tow both. You cannot be a follower of Christ in the kingdom of light on Sunday morning and be a follower of Satan the rest of the week. And you need to see the terms as stark as that. It's not muddy. This life feels muddy, but the commitment cannot be muddy. You must be all in 
all up on Jesus is Lord. We're good? We square? Introduction. Let's get into our text. After issuing this summons, Jesus is going along the side of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is in up. It's in Galilee. It's sort of northwestern from, uh, I mean, excuse me, northeastern from, from Jerusalem a bit. And he's going, and this becomes a center of operations for Jesus' ministry, his earthly ministry. So much of it revolves around uh, Galilee and the Sea of Galilee. And so he's going down the Sea of Galilee and he sees, first he sees one set of brothers and then he sees another set of brothers. He sees Simon, who we later know as Peter. And Andrew, and then we see James and John. What's interesting about these first disciples that show up in Mark's gospel is that these three of these four are they make up the inner circle of Jesus's closest disciples. Peter, James, John are the three who are are most with Jesus. Jesus spends the the, the majority of his time with three. Or 12. He, spends, he was on the Mount of Transfiguration with the three. He's praying in the garden with three. He's with the three. And then he's with the 12. And then he's with the crowds, etc. So that here we have the, the bringing in of the very first disciples. And they are brought in by the word of Christ. They're brought in by the word of Christ. And while Jesus is not walking around the Sea of Galilee today, he's not walking, so to speak, physically with his feet planted on our blue carpet. That's 30-something years old now. It's amazing. Maxine does a great job. He's not walking here. He is present with us. But we enter in by the same means, by the word of Christ. Faith comes by hearing. Again, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So there is similarity here between us and these first disciples. There's also dissimilarity that we need to take note of. They're apostles. They become apostles. You do not become apostle. I do not become apostle. Okay? The office and the role that these and the 12 minus Judas later on that they serve in the early church is a unique one. And so there's a danger when we see the calling of the apostles and then we see the ministry of the apostles that we automatically say, I should therefore go do this. Okay, just preamble there. So we have Jesus's call. This is Jesus's call to discipleship. This is Jesus' call to follow him. Literally, it's come after me. It's this weird combination of, of Greek words. I expected to find something else when I went to the Greek. And it was, it was all these adverbs and things. But anyways, come after me. That to be a follower of Jesus means that you have to leave. You have to leave the spot in which you're in. If you're first coming to follow Jesus, you can't stay in the same place. At least spiritually, at least mentally, and at least in terms of your obedience and of your commitment, you can't stay in the same place. How many people have we seen 
Have you seen and I've seen that, that make some profession of faith in Jesus and yet stay in the same spot? Not in the sense that they live in the same house, they sleep in the same bed, etc. Okay, I'm not saying you have to move. But everything about their life looks the same. And I'm going to wager if things continue that way, then their profession of faith was not genuine. Because in order to follow Jesus, there has to be a come after me. So Jesus, is a, this is a summons. First of all, this is a call to himself. If you're taking notes, discipleship is first a call to Jesus himself. Later on in chapter 3, where we see all of the 12, the first 12 disciples referred to, uh, Jesus calls them, I mean, yeah, chapter 3, verse 13 uh, he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach. The first order, if you will, of discipleship is to be with Jesus. Too often we think about discipleships as spiritual disciplines or church attendance or church ordinances like baptism and the Lord's Supper, and all of those things are good and have their place, but discipleship is first you following and being with Jesus. There is a, a leaving of old allegiances to now commit yourself to Jesus and be with Him. And this is the miraculous gift of the Holy Spirit that He is with you and you are with Him right now if you are in Christ. But you need to be in that relationship. You need to foster and be committed to Jesus. It is a summons to Himself. Secondly, it is a call to become. Some translations miss this in verse 17 of chapter 1. They say, I will... Um, follow me and I will make you fish for people or something to make it sound easier. But there, the word become is there. There is not an automatic light switch that you go from following yourself, living in darkness, following after the course of this world, and then all of a sudden you're this automatic fisher for people. You're automatic evangelist extraordinary and apostle and disciple and all these things that these guys, guys would be. That to follow Jesus means that you start where you are, get with Jesus. Do you understand what I'm saying? You, you, you cannot and you must not believe that you have to clean something up about where you are right now. There are too many examples in the, in the Gospels for me to, to tell you but where people say, Jesus, I'm going to follow you, but let me go and do this first. Let me go and tidy up my shop. Let me go and bury my father. That one's in there. Let me go take care of business over here. Let me go do this and let me go do that. No, dear ones, you do not need, nor can you. If you are outside of the kingdom of Christ, you can't prepare yourself for it. You can't prepare your way into it by trying to be a better person. The only way that you are going to get holy is if you get the Holy Spirit in you. So you just go after Jesus. If you're hearing this, which you are, 
Right? Everybody, I see, I don't see anybody asleep. I don't see anybody that has uh, hearing struggles. If you do, front rows open. Little tongue in cheek, but seriously, don't, no shame. If you're hearing this, then the first order of business is to get with Jesus and recognize that it's Jesus who is going to make you become something. I will make you become. To follow Jesus is to surrender to Jesus's sanctifying power and purpose. Let me say that again. To follow Jesus is to surrender to Jesus's sanctifying power and purpose. That it's sanctifying simply means that he's making you holy. He's he's remaking you. He's he's causing you to be become something that you were not. That he's molding you even now, Christian, through the mundane garbage of this week. I promise you, God is working in your life so that you look like Jesus. Romans 8:29. He's predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son. God's purpose for you, Christian, is that you would look like Jesus. But in order for you to look like Jesus, you have to surrender to him. You have to be with him, surrender to him and know that he's the one who's going to work in you. To will and to work for his glory, the Apostle Paul tells to the To the Philippians. It's a call to himself and it's a call to become. So acknowledge when you begin to follow Jesus and as you continue to follow Jesus, that you are a person in process. You are not today what you one day will be. If you're a Christian today, you are not today what you once were. Right? I I can give to you. Here is God's sanctifying grace in my life. Areas that only by His grace I am different today than I was two years ago, three years ago, five years ago. And that's grace operative. That's the sanctifying power and purpose of Christ. And one day, all of that shaping and molding through His Word, through His Spirit, through you obeying in the circumstances in which you find yourself, one day that's going to blossom as we're being transformed from one glory until another one day we will step into glory. One day we will all be changed. We will be, we'll, we'll slough off all of this sin and all of this mortality. And we will be wrapped up in immortality by the power of Christ. We're a people in process. You're on a journey. And recognize that as you surrender to Jesus, you're entering into sometimes... Right after you believe in Jesus, you're entering into a crucible. You know what happens in a crucible or in a forge? Metal in a forge, metal gets really, really, really hot for two reasons. One, so that all of the impurities get out of there. Two, to make it easier for the blacksmith to mold it into that which it ought to be. So do not be surprised as God brings you into seasons of greater growth and greater opportunity of following him or simply right after you begin to seriously follow Jesus, that things get really hard. That should, don't, don't be shocked by it. And, and know that when things get really hard, that is when God is up to something great and deep and long lasting in your life. Don't despair. 
Jesus says, come after me. Come to me. Be with him in the forge, in the crucible, in the furnace, like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's a call to himself, a call to become. It's also a call to go and do. It's a call to go and do. Follow me, come after me, and I will make you become, what? Fishers of men. He's saying this to fishermen who are mending their nets. It's, it's important for you to know that they're not fishing with cane poles, bobbers, and night crawlers. They, the, some of the fishing in the Sea of Galilee involved hook and line and all that kind of stuff. But right here, these are big nets that would catch a lot of people. And as you saw in chapter 3, where Jesus calls the disciples that they might be with him and to send them out to do what? Do you all remember? I just read it. To preach. Cast a wide net. It's like the parable of the dragnet that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 13, 47 through 50, I think, where it catches all sorts of people, all sorts of fish, and it's dragged up, and then they separate it out. So they're called to spread a wide net to reach as many people as they can. Some of those people aren't going to prove to be true disciples. As you see in the book of Acts, you see people, particularly in Samaria, as one example, people believe and they're baptized and then they obviously didn't believe. Go read that if you like. But it's a call to go and do. So while you're not an apostle and you might not be called to preach, you might not be called to be a missionary in, this, in an official sense, like Lisa and Kevin, who I think are they're, you know, on a jet plane, praise God. Or they're already there. I don't, I don't know how long. It takes 10 years to get to Ulaanbaatar. Um, but um, you might not be called to that, but you're called to go and do where the Lord has you to be. You're called to go. That means you're, you're called to go into that area, into that home, into that workplace, into that rhythm of life where you're bumping into the same people day in and day out. You're, you're called to go there on purpose, on Jesus's purpose. And while you're in that space with those people to follow and obey Christ. So that might mean one thing in your workplace where you're doing your work for the glory of God, not for your manager's approval or your supervisor's approval, not even for a raise. Those are all great, good things, but you're doing it for the glory of God. It might mean for you parents, you grandparents, that you engage your children intentionally so that they might hear Jesus and see Jesus in your life. That you're going in as a parent or a grandparent or as an aunt or an uncle or whatever you are into their lives on Jesus's purpose. Remember, the fault line of the kingdom shows up in your day-to-day schedule. That repent and believe, right? No more darkness. Give me light. That fault line shows up today. You got out of bed and you came to worship Jesus. It's going to show up tomorrow when you wake up. What, what and why and where are you going to go? On whose agenda? For whose glory? For whose name? The fault line's going to show up at 5 a.m., 6 a.m., 7 a.m., 8 a.m. You should have woken up already. Whatever. The fault line is going to show up there. You understand what I mean? Is Jesus Lord or is he not? And it will be stark as day when you have a free 15 minutes. What are you doing? 
Are you, are you engaging God in prayer? Are you going to his word? Are you, are you texting or calling someone to en- encourage them? Are you, are you thinking about the things of God? Or are you doing something else? Something that might be innocuous in and of itself. Or something that might be downright wicked. The fault line shows up. And the call to you tomorrow morning. Tomorrow midday. Tomorrow 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock. Where we'll, I just want to take a nap by that point of the day. I have this like fall from lunch and it's and then I like after that around three thirty four, I'm just ready to go. But that crash is heavy sometimes. But what will you do? You're called to go and do for his glory on his mission. There are people that you will engage with that have never heard and they've never seen. And it does the kingdom, and it does the king a grave disservice for you to enter in that space with those people bearing the name of Jesus and act as though Jesus is not Lord. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where the Apostle Paul writes to these Jewish some, some of them believers, some of them not believers in Rome. And he says, the, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. He's writing to Jews who don't keep the law inwardly. And for Christians who claim the name of Jesus and then enter into spaces with people who don't claim the name of Jesus as Lord, who don't know him, who have never seen or heard of the gospel, for you to then step into that space whether it be your home, whether it be your marriage, your parenting, your grandparenting, you're stepping into IGA or food line or to your workplace or wherever. And if you do that acting as though you're the boss, you're the king, you're the queen, you're, you're it. Dear one, you are going to bring disrepute upon the name of Jesus. Follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Finally, as I've already alluded to, the call to follow Jesus is a call to leave. It's a call to leave. When you first follow Jesus, it means that you have to leave your former allegiances. You have to leave following, living for yourself. There are specific sins that once were the chains and the shackles that owned you. And now by the power of Christ, they are being broken. You must leave those things. For Simon and Andrew and James and John, they left their nets. They left their families. They had to leave. Sometimes it's when you first come to follow Jesus. And and there will be marked moments throughout your life following Jesus where you know you have got to get up and go. This shows up with the disciples over and over again, but the, the call to leave is evidence of that fault line of the kingdom where your allegiance has to show up as Jesus is Lord. That you are bound By grace for his glory to Jesus that you've lashed yourself or been lashed to the cross. 
It's stark separation, leaving the old behind, darkness behind, light ahead, and it is a vivid commitment. But you see it in throughout the Gospels, just or throughout the New Testament. Verse thirty-eight, Jesus says, "Everyone is looking for you." There, Simon tells him, and Jesus says in verse thirty-eight, "We've got to go. Let's go to the next town. We have to leave." We see it at chapter 9 in the transfiguration where they go up on the mountain. You remember this story? And they, they see Moses and they see Elijah and they see Jesus transfigured. His clothes transform and they get a picture, a snapshot of his glory. And Peter says again, it's Peter who wants to stay. And Jesus says, we must go down the mountain. In the upper room at the the Olivet Discourse in John, John's Gospel, I believe it's at the end of either chapter 14 or chapter 15. Jesus says, rise, let us go from here. We have to go. There come seasons, there come moments where that plant your foot and pivot moment must continue to be lived out, Christian. Where you're on a path and you might have been following Jesus on that path. But he says, now you must go this way. Sometimes it's a new conversation. Sometimes it's a new job. Sometimes it's a different step or or whatever, a new intention. But you've got to go. Sometimes God might be calling you to sell it all, pack up all, all of your family and fly across the world, leaving your family behind to the glory of God. It might mean that you begin to spend your Saturdays differently knowing that Jesus is Lord and that God has called you to go and do in that neighborhood around those people. That you spend your recreation dollars differently. You spend your retirement differently because Jesus is Lord. And that moment of decision comes and you have to decide Jesus is Lord. Repent and believe the gospel that Jesus is king and the king has come to die and I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Shows up every day. They had to leave from Gethsemane where Jesus was surrounded by swords and clubs. He had to go to Golgotha's hill to the cross of humiliation and shame. But he left there. He left there and he went to the tomb. Dead. Buried. Seemingly gone. But he left the tomb empty. And he rose. And he showed up, appearing to disciples, but then he left also again. And I say this to show that all of your leaving, all of the leaving will be worth it. Because the one who has left is going to come again. And then we will leave to be with him. To call to follow Jesus is a call to Leave. Martin Luther, the great German reformer, not without flaw. But we sing, there's a hymn of his 
in our hymnal number eight. And it's also uh, in the stained glass over here. It says, A mighty fortress is our God. The one with the castle on the rock over there. I don't know if you knew that. We've got <laughs> German Lutheran artwork in our Baptist sanctuary. Not really. Don't, don't go throw a rock through it. It's pretty. Uh, but he says, in the end of A Mighty Fortress is Our God, verse 4 in our hymnals, he says, That word of the gospel, above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirits and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also. The body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. This kingdom is forever. What you have with these disciples, you have Simon Peter and Andrew leaving their goods, leaving their nets. And you have James and John leaving their kindred. Dear ones, all of those leavings, all of the pain of separations is worth it because Jesus is king. So my request to you. As that fault line of light, darkness, Jesus is Lord or some other Lord shows up. Ask God for his grace. That we might be people of the light who walk in the light, who walk in the light of Christ. Some of you need to trust Jesus afresh. Some of you need to trust Jesus for the first time. The summons to come follow Jesus is for you today. Would you listen and heed? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for your spirit. We thank you for the promise and promises that you attend and give with your word. That as it goes out, it will accomplish your purpose. It will not come back void. So, Lord, if there are things here that ought to be forgotten, let them be forgotten. If there are things here that in your wisdom and according to your word are true and right and holy, would you cause those same things to embed in hearts and minds? For some would today be a pebble in the shoe moment. Even as they continue to live the way that they've always lived, would they not forget this moment where they've been called to greater life in you? And may you use it for your name. I pray that for your children who are present, Christians born again with new life in them, your spirit present in them. Would you make the decisions of discipleship so abundantly clear this week and the weeks to come that you would make us your people? That you would demonstrate your glory, your grace and your gospel in Elgin and to the nations because of what you're doing here and in us. Have mercy, O Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.